What we got here is a failure to communicate. Hello and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Our mission is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. In today's episode, we once again talk about communication, specifically during the period before the RFP is released. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Kevin, today we're going to talk about pre-RFP communications, the what, the why, the when, how does it happen? We are, and this one is a big deal because the understanding of what kind of communication can happen, what kind of relationship can you have with the contracting officer, with the program manager, what kind of, can you guys talk ahead of time, guys and gals? So the, the idea here is that this is one of those questions that keeps coming up, and it's very easy to say, oh, we can't talk at all. And then it's also very easy to go too far. And like everything else we talk about, you're managing attention. There's no, there's no easy solution to this. It's managing, don't go too far this way or too far that way. So that's the point of the today's cast. All right. So we're going to talk about what is pre-RFP pre communication from the book sense. We're going to talk about what acquisition time zone we're in. We're going to talk about why pre-RFP communications are important and why both government and industry should care about quality pre-RFP communications. So, Kevin, what is pre-RFP communication? So the book answer is right out of, again, for those of you reading along in the FAR, FAR Part 10, at 10.001A2, right? And it says, agencies must conduct market research appropriate to the circumstances before they solicit offers, right? So that, that's the big idea is that you should be looking at appropriate to the circumstances. And then also FAR 15, you get in negotiated contracts, FAR 15-201 talks about exchanges of information among all interested parties as early in the process as the requirement will allow for. Here's the fun part of that one, though. You got to be consistent with FAR 3.104, which for those of you who don't know, that's, that's essentially the Procurement Integrity Act. That's where, you know, you can't, there's a difference between getting information from people and interacting with, hey, what kind of requirements can you meet versus, you know, letting you, you know, buy me beers at a, at a, at a, at a bar that looks, it just, it, it, there's a lot of common sense to this, but there's also a little bit of, of uh, misunderstanding of, of how much people can actually interact. So just yeah. think common sense. We don't want to get into the whole legal discussion of what, what is inappropriate. But the point here is that Open communication is, is encouraged, and we'll talk about why that's important yeah. later. And but I'd be disappointed if, if buying one person a beer shifted the uh, the end result of an acquisition. But but I get your and point. It, <laughs> there, it's, it's a lot more about it's a lot more about uh, perception. Yep. That's, that's the exercise. But again, that's a different cast. So and then going back into fifteen two hundred one, right? The the purpose is really to improve the understanding of what the government's requirement is. In other words, so industry knows what they're bidding on, and or and one you know my, one of my favorites is so they know whether or not they should even be bidding, right? right? And then so they can qualify the opportunity. And then from the government perspective, you want to enhance your ability to get the best quality and service. If you're not interacting with industry and they don't clearly understand what you're buying, you're it's kind of like you're walking into the Ford dealership and go, oh, I'm going to buy a car today. 
well, how do you know that's the best car for you? If you're just buying what you see, I mean, you're kind of, you hear this in the, the one of the uh, very early podcasts we did was uh, about the acquisition time zones. And I said, the human nature a lot of times is we'll skip the, the requirement in the market research zone. We just walk into the mall and go, hey, that looks cool. And we just buy it. I want it. it yeah. And, and to be honest, if you're not interacting with industry at all, uh, and again, I'm kind of calling out contracting officers here, but you, know, <laughs> you, you, all, you all know me well enough that I've done this. So I, I've done it wrong. Calling and, out our past selves. Exactly. I'm calling out my past self here that by skipping that entirely, you're, you're in a dangerous place. So then also in here, it talks about agencies should promote early exchanges on future acquisitions. So the FAR says you should be talking about what's coming up for all of the same reasons we just talked about is that you want you want the contractors the potential contractors to say yeah that's a con- doing that as a, as a cost plus award fee is going to work for us doing that as a firm fixed price is going to cost more i know you want this done in six months but really it's going to take us eight months or my personal favorite yeah, we already do that we can do that in, in 60 days and your your requirement was written based on awarding the contract five years ago and technology has made it faster for them to award now or faster for them to deliver now so you don't know that unless you ask. Right. So ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and the FAR allows for that. So my point is read FAR 10 and FAR 15.2, and you'll see I'm not making this stuff up. It's actually in there. Yeah, and we've already talked about how the, those type of, of communications happen between, you know, it conferences, bidders conferences, one-on-ones, pre-solicitation notices. We did a whole cast on uh, RFIs and draft RFPs, that kind of stuff. So that's the book answer. So our answer, just you know, the, the the perspective of okay, we'll put that in, in non far ease, right? So pre RFP communication is any communication prior to RFP release. Think of it that way: is that anything you talk about, whether you're researching things, you're running into somebody at Starbucks, and I used to, I used to go through this. I would be uh, when I worked at uh, at Wright Patterson, I would run into contractors that I knew would probably. I'll be bidding on one of our contracts. And I'm like, uh, this is awkward. But you know what? They're allowed to go out to lunch too. There's nothing awkward about this. It's business. Now, if the RFP is out and they've a proposal coming into you, okay, different ballgame. But pre-RFP communication, it's not like you have to avoid people. Now, keep in mind that if they start pitching their product at you, it's a different problem. We'll get to that later. But understand that pre-RFP communication is anything before the RFP comes out. Until right. you cross that thick black line and go into zone three, it's, it's totally okay to be talking. Right. This is where the acquisition team, and this includes you, COs, this is where you're learning the art of the possible. This is this is where you're learning whether or not industry can meet the requirement and can they meet your requirement in ways that you hadn't been thinking about. So from the, the buyer perspective, if you're on if you're the government acquisition team, this is your market research. This is where you learn what the market can do. And from you know the personal perspective, you'd call this shopping. This is this is uh, if if you go to the mall and, and browse or go online and browse for something this is this is the shopping phase of of the acquisition and more importantly something to footstop here is that just like you said this is the acquisition team doing this uh the customer should be looking the the, like for example the the marketing oh lord yes don't forget the customer the people that are actually going to use it yeah, and that's that's another. I, this is one of those things that I was a little bit uncomfortable with at times, where the customer would come to me and say, "You know, I talked to this company. This is what they can do to meet our requirement for this big RFP we have coming out next year." And funny enough, my instinct is, "Oh, you shouldn't be talking to them." I, I, I don't know why that was my instinct, and a lot of it is you know, your fear of of you know getting vilified for favoritism, all that kind of stuff. But that's market research. You want that customer out at industry days. You want that customer going to conferences and saying. 
okay, here's our requirement. Here's the kind of stuff that can solve yeah. it. I, I so, think I think Bob Marks taught us that early in our careers. We took the customers everywhere with us in in, in the uh, commercial acquisition of of aircraft days. We took the guys that were going to be flying those things everywhere with us to make sure that we were satisfying their needs because that's what it was all about. That was an aside. So <laughs> let's get back to pre RFP communication. Sellers call pre RFP communications. They call this business development. This is this is they, there's a, there's actual there are jobs. People are business development. That that's that's it's called salesman in in some ways, but business development is is a little more in depth than just straight up sales. But this is where industry is trying to communicate, trying to shape the acquisition, so that the the eventual RFP is written in a way that most favors their particular solution to a problem. And to tag on to this business development part is that, yeah, that's the, like you said, it's selling in, in the simplest terms, but if it's an RFP that's coming out a year from now, you're developing your understanding of that opportunity. And that's something that I thought every salesman was a salesman. I was thinking in terms of when a business development guy from some company is coming to talk to me as a contracting officer, or I run into them somewhere and they're saying, Hey, what's, what's the, uh, what do you guys need in this particular lane? I was thinking it's cause they're trying to sell me something. And because they're trying to sell me what's in front of them, like a car salesman. Business development is a different skill set. It's more of a long-term play. It's more of a long-term strategy of what does this customer really need? And they're they're almost like, um, I don't know if people would agree with me on this one, but they're almost like information brokers. Because they're yeah. trying to get information to get ahead of opportunities before they show up. Whereas a salesman is closed business with what we have right now. Yeah, that's so, it. And I didn't... I. I- I, I would agree with you on that, and it's it. There is a distinction there that I didn't always recognize. Um, you know, business development is an honest profession. It's not a snake oil salesman kind of thing. And and agree. And, and think of it in terms of they're trying to either figure out should we walk away from this or should we be all in on this. And so, if you can help them understand as a contracting officer, if you can help them make that decision sooner, then it's either really good for you because actually it's good for you either way, either they're going to leave you alone or they're going to, they're going to start crafting their, their ability, their product or service, whatever to meet your need. Yep. Both of those are good things for you. So don't, yeah, I, I, I'm not suggesting that you, you start playing golf with business development people. I'm just telling you that they're not, they're not just trying to sell you their stuff. And if they are, <laughs> then you're going to be able to see it because you understand the difference now. Right. Right. And Okay. And you're back within the ethical limits here is that we'll, we'll do a separate cast and maybe we'll have a, I don't know, maybe we'll have an ethical attorney <laughs> as a guest or something, but just think common sense. Um, there's, it's, it's very easy to slip over the line and, and you're going to read all kinds of, of bad uh, publicity about people having un, un, inappropriate relationships with uh, their, let's say their spouse works at this company. There's just all kinds of stuff like that. But during the market research phase, don't get hung up on that. That's a huge issue during the RFP phase, and it's a ridiculously big issue during source selection. Got it. But we're in the market research zone here. We're just trying to collect information. Yeah, so when you're talking conflicts of interest, we get wrapped up in conflicts of interest because of either relationships, like you said, your spouse works at a company, or this is your friend, or this is somebody that you've worked with a bunch before, so it's viewed as you just want to continue working with them. You know, relationships are how that's what makes the world turn so there's a difference between a relationship and a conflict of interest and at this stage of an acquisition relationships are okay and let me go back to podcast number two i believe the 80 20 rule talked about how 
government contracting is 80% process, 20% relationship. That 20% relationship, most of that happens during the market research phase. Most of that 80% process, that's going to be in the RFP and source selection phase. What we're talking about is a market research zone. The acquisition team is doing the market research. The requirement is generally defined already, but at this stage, they can refine the defined requirement by doing market research. And remember, in the market research zone, communication is wide open. You can talk on the phone. You can talk at the coffee shop. You can use the internet however you you want to communicate. And then even do formal communications, which is RFIs and one-on-ones and industry days and just just ask. Ask ask people what you think that they can do so that you're not guessing. So that was all like episode 13 market research zone stuff, but that's where we are, zone two market research zone. So why is pre-RFP, why is pre-RFP communication important? The acquisition team wants to be communicating with the industry at this phase to develop an acquisition strategy that actually reflects the, the art of the possible, that, that will allow them to buy what they mean to buy what they need to meet their requirement. And think of it this way. If the acquisition team is not asking questions, if you're not listening to industry, if you're not, if you're not trying to learn what the art of possible art of the possible is, then you're just guessing. And (laughs) I mean, it sounds really rude, but again, I didn't see this as clearly. Right. So let me show you what I mean by that is we had a contract that was getting ready to expire. So we're going to recompete it. And it's the same thing we've always done. So, we just go put out the uh, RFP. We, you know, we just synopsize it and then put out the RFP, and we just get proposals just like we did last time. Yeah, it, you basically so, use the same RFP from last time, I'm guessing. Correct. So think about it. I didn't actually ask industry if anything has changed. So going back to the walking into the, the car dealership, you basically – you didn't realize, for example – when I walk into a car dealership and say, uh, you know, I need a new car and they go, oh, yeah, we have this uh, this this new version over here. It's it's now got any brakes and we've upgraded it so that it has a, a flat screen monitor and, you know, with GPS. You're like, oh, cool. And you buy it. But what you realize what you didn't realize because you didn't look around is that dude, flat screen monitors have been around for like five years. Most cars now have a touch screen and it's voice controlled and it's got backup camera, all, all that stuff. You didn't look right. So the whole idea of if, if you if you didn't look for what is the new art of the possible, has anything changed? You're just guessing. And yeah. this I was going to say even if it's not changes, just say say you 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 need you you want to buy what do we always talk about like ATVs? Say 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 <laughs> say you put ATVs and you you your requirement is the thing has to go 27 miles an hour. Well, if you haven't talked to industry. You might get to the point where they have to modify their ATVs to get get you know everybody's ATV top speed is twenty five miles an hour, which by the way is just fine to the users. But you pick twenty seven, and it turns out to meet that requirement, they have to to modify what they're selling every day, and it costs you a ton more money to get one that goes two miles an hour faster when you maybe didn't even need that. But if you talked to industry. Everybody would tell you, oh, yeah, the top speed's 25, and you go to the user and say, is 25 okay? And they go, oh, yeah, that'll work. And you've saved everyone tons of time and money. And the reason that we can stand here and preach about this is that we both screwed it up. <laughs> is that under the theory – yeah, I can see you laughing. Under the theory of, well, we'll just, we'll just get this done, and we don't take an extra week. And, and remember we said in previous cast, put that time up front 
and you'll save yourself time later. This is one of those moments. Take an extra two weeks and say, hey, before you put out the RFP and say, here's a draft RFP. We're planning to use the same requirement. Has anything changed? And if six or seven companies come back and say, oh, well, actually, we can do this now, or this, this is no longer the industry standard, or this is now a commercial product. I mean, all that stuff, you can go and Google it yourself and hope that you find that answer, or you could just ask and let them look for you. <laughs> so yeah. it saves you time too. Yeah, so industry wants to communicate at this point because they don't want the acquisition team to guess. This isn't a bad thing. This is the whole point of market research. The, the closer the resulting RFP comes out to what industry can already do, the better the res- the result of the acquisition will be. The the better it will serve the users. You'll be able to get something faster, uh, m- more quality, more proven. It's, it's it's the point of the whole thing. We always talk about there there are two ends of the spectrum. We're always trying to be between them, right? So on the one end, we just kind of gave all the all the government teams a, a bashing over the idea of guessing. Well, the other end of the spectrum is if you're a business development or a salesperson and you're just pushing your product. If you're not listening to what their requirement is, and you think I'm crazy, right? Think I'm I'm being preachy here. Well, when's the last time you went to a one-on-one with a program manager, contracting officer, customer, whatever, and you asked questions instead of just pitching? I have done so hundreds of one-on-ones, and the guy came in with his slide deck. He didn't ask me one question. He just sat down and said, "Hey, Mr. Contracting Officer, here's what I do." And I'm like, "Thanks. I could have gotten it off your website." And by the way, and, and again, that sounds really, really, you know, kind of condescending, but that's why contracting officers, I'm putting this out there, you know how I am. That's why contracting officers will not like right. to go out of the with you because that's what they think they're, you're going to do. You're just going to give them your slide deck and say, hey, look at all the stuff that we can do. And they're like, yeah, that's not yeah. what My I'm example doing. is I used, I, there, there's, at one point I worked in, a, in an office where contractors had relatively free reign to, to enter the, the facility and walk around. And I had, I'd be sitting there working and someone would show up behind me and a business development guy trying, trying to talk about their product, talk about an acquisition. And it drove me crazy where I'm, you know, afterwards I'm walking around, who let this guy in? How in the world does this guy, how can he just show up behind me? Well, in retrospect, what that tells me is I wasn't making myself available or talking to industry. So they were searching me out, trying to get any information or trying to share any information at all. But at the time, it, it felt like it felt like what you were saying, like like a, a this this crazy push where where the contractors trying to trying to sell me. And if you if flip, flip it around a little bit, you know, in retrospect, geez, if, if I'd have made more communication opportunities, they wouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. And the, so the, the big takeaway here is that be intentional about the communication. Say what, these are the five things that I want to learn about this RFP. Put those out on FBO and ask. And if you decide to do those via one-on-ones, you decide to do them via email, you decide to do a conference call, whatever, you decide how to do that. But the point is be intentional about the communication because like we just talked about, there's so many examples that if we're not intentional, either we're guessing or industry feels like their only option is to push. And if, if we can get in between those two, we're making government contracting better. <laughs> so okay. let's let's sum up. What why should the government care about pre RFP communication? So you talked about the book answer, FAR ten dot one A three. The book answer is that you're going to use the results of your market research to determine if if you actually have sources capable of doing what you need to do, if you can make the acquisition through commercial procedures or modified commercial products, and how 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 do firms that that can meet the requirement that you're trying to fulfill 
how do they do that? And that's an important piece because that goes back to things change. If you award a contract every every five years, heck, heck, even every one year, depending on what it is, the distribution model may change. So, for example, like this, this podcast, the old days, what five years ago, you and I may have made you know CDs that we mailed to people. <laughs> well, the world's changed, right? So, I mean, and it's just, it's a it's a really kind of a, a hyperbole example, but you get my point. It's like unless you ask industry, what's changed? You yeah. may be using a really outdated, like your twenty seven mile mile per hour ATV. You're using an outdated strategy. And again, you can research this all you want, or you can just, in my, you know, take the shortcut and ask industry and they'll tell you. Right. So bottom line, why does government care? Because you will get better products, better services, better contracts, and fewer proposals, better, fewer proposals. If you've done a good job of communicating what you need, people, people will self-eliminate and not bid on things if they understand that they don't have a chance to win. And you you said this a couple times even just today, Kevin. The more time you spend up front communicating, the less time the acquisition takes overall because things are a lot harder to fix once you get into the next zone. Once you get into the RFP zone, things are a lot harder to fix in an acquisition than they are now. Yeah, you and I did a presentation at a uh, National Contract Management Association World Congress last year. And one of the big topics in there was this idea of slow, slow down to speed up. And what I mean by that is slow down and do the upfront market research, and it will speed you up at the end. It's kind of a slingshot effect. So just keep keep that in mind. It's, it's hard to see that when you're racing toward, oh, we need to have the RFP out next week. Why? Yep. And, and you're and so, again, slow down and speed up. The ultimate the protests tagging on the end of your acquisition life cycle you know, this is after award, you think you're done and then you get protests that slow you down more. If you've done this communication up front, you're not going to get those protests that result due to lack of understanding of the requirement because you, you've communicated it well. So all right, moving on, why does industry care? Why should industry care about pre-RFP communications? They care. Please, sir. I want some more. What? What? for more? So the book answer is in 15201F, Foxtrot. And so that, that's where it says general information about agency mission needs and future requirements may be disclosed at any time. So you can be open about that, right? However, and here comes that big thick black line, after RFP release, the CO must be the focal point for all exchanges. That's after RFP release, okay? So don't get hung up in... Oh, the, you can't talk to the contracting officer before RFP. After RFP, it's a different ballgame, right? But beforehand, don't get strung up on that. And so what happens is that the contracting officers are concerned that the risk of communicating outweighs the reward because they're concerned about after the RFP release, that relationship, I'm using air quotes here, is going to drift over into the RFP zone, and that's going to create issues with Procurement Integrity Act and et cetera. And so procurement integrity can be a minefield. That's why contracting officers are very leery of being very open. Right. So they, don't, they don't want to be accused of playing favorites or, or ethics violations in any way. Exactly. And, and here is your out as a contracting officer when somebody says, well, can you meet with them before industry, before the RFP comes out? Yes. And you can show them 15201F and say, it says right here, I'm supposed to be communicating with them. And then and when they say, well, can you tell me which company is going to bid? And you're going to go, hmm, look at the Procurement Integrity Act. You know, there, there's your bumper. There's your guardrail. Is know where that guardrail yep. is because if it if it's a, comf- a question that seems uncomfortable, this is how you learn. You got to 
you got to figure out where those those guardrails are. And honestly, read 3.104, and it's 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 not exactly clear because ethics is never easy. But you're going to know. I mean, your spidey senses are going to go off. And you're going to, well, I shouldn't tell you that. <laughs> right. So, so I mean, industry cool. should care. You just got to understand that contracting officers are risk averse by nature, risk averse people. There's a whole lot of those in the contracting officer field. Mm-hmm. But if you as industry are pushing the boundaries and making a contracting officer uncomfortable, you're actually playing right into those those fears. So respect the fact that that COs and the, the acquisition team altogether need to be impartial and don't do things that, that push the boundaries up. There's plenty of valid ways to communicate. Just saying that industry can actually make things worse by by overdoing it. It's the, I'll, I'll simplify it because I'm a big fan of the, the simplicity is the ultimate, ultimate sophistication. So Ooh. the basic con- – that's a Da Vinci quote, by the way. The basic <laughs> idea here is that if you're asking questions that are wrapped around how can we help you meet your requirement, that's helpful as opposed to questions of how can I sell you what I have. I like that. That's a great way, it, yeah, because they're not going to be uncomfortable by, by a question of how can I help, how can I help solve your problem. What makes them uncomfortable is the hardcore sales pitch. Right, because what you're doing is you're taking your, the solution you have and you're shoehorning it into their, their need as opposed to what do you need? Because as, as a business development person, one of my other great favorite sayings is go for, in, in sales, go for no. Is find out which things you shouldn't be doing first. So if you can find out from talking to the program manager, the customer, the user at some conference and realize that this agency doesn't buy what you sell, or they don't buy enough of it, or they don't buy it in how you sell it, or you know, or, or your product isn't good enough based on what they've already got. That's that's really useful information because now you know not to drive your laser in that direction. <laughs> that's the analogy to point your laser in that direction. So that's why they're asking these questions. So as a contracting officer, you hear me talk a lot about trying to you know talk people out of bidding. You're not trying to be unethical about that, but you're, you want them to understand this is not something we can win. So I, it, we shouldn't spend our time on it because. Opportunity is not the problem. It's filtering it. So that's a right. great place to wrap this up. So it is. that's it for pre RFP communications. We talked about what it is, which zone it's in the market research zone primarily, uh, why it's important to both industry and to government folks. So as always, send us your your questions. We 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 love all the engagement. You can go to contractingofficerpodcast.com, just click on the submit a question. Uh, look for look us up on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. We're actually on Facebook now. How funny is that? Um, and then write us a review on iTunes. You, you hear me say that every week, that, that that's how people will find this information, and we're giving it away for free, so please help them find it. So and, this is the point where I say podcast is really top level. If if that's what you're looking for, that's great. We, we've actually started, at, as a result of getting questions about can we learn more, where do we learn more, we're now offering webinars people ask ask for it we've we've built it and we also built the skyway connection community and the logic in this is that there's just a whole lot of help that people need and so rather than just pop off random questions here and there we build a community of government contracting enthusiasts and so it's a private community that you can be a member of and it's both government and industry and it's not it's not a a it's a non-attributional environment where people can learn because we're just trying to make government contracting better and to increase communication. And this is a way to do that. So you get access to the overall team. You get access to ask a contracting officer forum. 
all these training webinars are included. So we're, we're just trying to create a community where people can continue to grow and, and collaborate and learn more about these, about this puzzle <laughs> called government contracts. So for more information, uh, go to skywayacquisition.com slash connect. And as always, thanks for being a podcast listener and have a great day. Talk to you later, Kevin. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to contractingofficerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.